When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you ideas for how to make your life better than before. This week, we'll talk about a new way to put the word meditation to good use and about the challenge of competitive parenting. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister of the sage, Elizabeth Kraft. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA. Gretch, I have to say, when I try to meditate, I usually have what's known as monkey brain. <laughs> it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Yeah, well, I, I gave it up, you know. Um, Elizabeth, your, your show, The Family, is about to air. Tell us what's going on. Yes, it's um, debuting March 3rd on ABC at 9 p.m., 8 p.m. Central, and it's a really great show. It's not for kids. It's uh, it's kind of a thriller slash mystery slash family drama. It's about a woman, Joan Allen, who is... I love, I love Joan yeah, Allen. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, she's running for governor, and she got into politics because 10 years earlier, her son was kidnapped and killed, or so she thinks, and it sort of got her into politics. And now, out of nowhere, he returns. He escapes and he returns, and it, it turns out he was alive the whole time. But there's this sort of question mark, is it really him? And so the first season tells that story, um, and it's it's just tons of twists and turns, and it's great. I'm very excited about it. It also um, stars Andrew McCarthy Gretsch from the yes. Brat Pack. Yes. And so, and he's just fantastic in this. I mean, the whole cast is great and it just turned out beautifully. So I'm very excited about it. It'll debut Thursday, March 3rd, but then it'll go to its regular time slot, which is Sundays at nine. 
And I'll post the tra- It's got an amazing trailer. So I'll post the trailer okay. in the show notes, um, happiercast.com slash 53 for anybody who can't wait until March 3rd to, to get a sense of uh, of what it what the show's going to be because it looks tremendous. I love this kind of thing. Um, yeah. Tremendously like exciting. It. Yeah, I the love family. that book by E.L. E. Konigsberg, um, Father's, Father's Arcane Daughter, which had kind of a similar plot. And it's fascinating. Um, so that's so exciting. Thank uh, you. Yeah. And we have another exciting anniversary coming up as of tomorrow. It will be one year exactly from our first episode. Yay. No, unbelievable. It's gone so fast. Yes. And we're going to do an episode for the anniversary. So again, if you've got comments, if you have ways that you've gotten better than before, if you've made yourself happier, segments that particularly resonated with you or moments that you thought were particularly funny, any kind of before and after stories, send them our way. Um, You know, send us uh, a voicemail because we would love to hear about it. And maybe we'll include it in the show. That'd be great. Okay, so Alyssa, this this week, this try this at home tip, I would say, is in the great scheme of the from the grand to the smaller. This is on the smaller side, but it actually is something that really works for me, mm. which is whenever there's an activity that's really boring, you put the word meditation after it as a way to reframe the way that you're thinking about it. Ah, so like what what's an example? So you could be, I'm doing waiting in line meditation or I'm doing subway platform meditation. Oh, and so- I need to do flossing meditation. Oh, there you go. Because <laughs> I hate flossing. But see, here's the thing. Like, if you think of it that way, all of a sudden, first of all, I feel much more kind of like high-minded and spiritual. And also whatever I'm doing takes on this kind of luster of, oh, you know, this is just this thing that is unfolding that I'm like, you know, getting into in a different way. It's not, I'm not just standing here impatient and frustrated and bored. Um, I'm trying to think of all the different meditations I could do. Like maybe a falling asleep meditation would be good. Maybe yeah. if you were like, you know, cause sitting there can be so like, Oh, I'm not going to fall asleep. And if you're doing a falling asleep meditation, might actually help you fall asleep. So, you know, there's that saying, if you can't get out of it, get into it. And yes. I think this is a way to sort of get into those situations. And Diane Arbus, the photographer, had this this really interesting observation where she said, the Chinese have a theory that you pass through boredom into fascination. And I think it's true. So it's sort of this idea of something's boring for a little while, do it longer. And if it's still boring when you do it longer, do it even longer. And then eventually you'll sort of pass through boredom into a state of embracing it. You know, it's funny on the subject of boredom, because I feel like everybody is just always trying to avoid boredom, which we can largely do with our phones, right? But I remember like being bored was such a big part of childhood. Yes. Like sitting there, like going with mom to like a junior league meeting and sitting outside on the bench, you know, just waiting for her. And going to the grocery like, store. Yes. Like every day we went to the grocery yes, store. Yes, the dry cleaners. And so I feel like it's it's we're almost doing kids a disservice because like they're never bored. And being bored, I mean, it's a big part of adult life too. Because any whatever job you're doing, there's always going to be parts of it that are boring or whatever, you know, doing errands can often be boring. And it's like coping with boredom is a major life skill. Just being yeah. able to get through it. So maybe this meditation is a is a, actually a very helpful way to get through those moments. Right, right. Now, a friend of mine said that, she said, growing up, I was, I was tremendously bored all the time. And as a result, I had a very rich inner life. And it's sort of true. If, if you yeah. are constantly trying to distract yourself from these moments, 
um, then you don't you don't cultivate that inner life because you don't have to be bothered to do it. And so instead of instead of choosing to tell yourself that you're bored and then therefore I need to be distracted, you can consider it valuable time in its own way because this is this is the um, waiting for the meet, next meeting to start meditation and uh, you need yes. to get into it. <laughs> I'm dying to hear if people try this and if it changes their experience, I think it could. Do you think that we're kind of uh, misusing the term meditation? I fear that some probably har- some hardcore meditators may may feel that we're we are being we are using the term too lightly. So we acknowledge that this is we're, we're using it in yes. kind of a metaphoric way. We're not actually suggesting that this is Real, true meditation. Right? Yeah, it's really as you said about reframing an experience. Yes, it's seeing the holding it up as something valuable and 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 kind of meditative, um, if not meditation. Yes. Well, I'll let you know how my flossing meditation goes. Yeah, yeah. So everybody let us know. Twitter, Facebook, uh, podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, go to HappierCast.com slash 53 for this episode. We'd love to hear about your experience. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So this week's happiness stumbling block is, I think, very common among parents, which is being a competitive parent. When it comes to parenting, people sort of have to feel like they're doing the right best thing for their children. So if you're doing something different, it has to be wrong. I have to be right and I have to be the best in order to be a good parent. And, you know, Gretz, there's really two kinds of competitive parenting. There's uh, comparing yourself as a parent to other parents and being competitive with the parents. And then there's also being competitive on behalf of your child, wanting your child to do best. Right. It sort of can go on either generation. Yeah. And I think for both sides of that, it's really about the parent, you yourself and how you feel about yourself. And if you have anxieties and insecurities about yourself, they come out in this way. It's, it's really nothing to do with the kids. And on the subject of competitive parenting, I was reminded of an essay by Anne Lamott, who's a writer I love. Um, so Anne Lamott is, is probably best known for her book, Bird by Bird, which is about writing, and Operating Instructions, which is about the, uh, it was just a journal of her son's first year. Um, but she also writes a lot of essays on faith. Um, and sh- and in, her, in her book, Traveling Mercies, which is all related to faith, she talks. She has an essay called Forgiveness, in which she talks about how she's trying to forgive 
an, another parent who really, really bothers her. And I think its connection to competitive parenting will become clear. Um, and so she's, she, well, her son, Sam, is getting into first grade. And she says that she herself, Anne, Annie, was having trouble adjusting to all the new rules and the new expectations. And there was this one mom who was driving her crazy because she kept offering kind of help and advice. And she was like very thin and fit. And she would like make mm -hmm. homemade treats. And um, she was offering to help Sam with his reading because he was a slow reader mm. and it was driving her, her crazy. And so, he, like, here's one thing. Here's one, one. She's giving a quote from the mother. On the day of the field trip, she said to me sweetly, I just want you to know, Annie, that if you have any other questions about how the classroom works, I'd really love to be there for you. Mm. I smiled back at her. I thought such awful thoughts that I cannot even say them out loud because they would make Jesus want to drink gin <laughs> straight out of the cat dish. But then she, she has this moment of epiphany when she realizes what's really going on. Like you say, it's really about yourself as the parent. Because um, their boy, their sons were very good friends. So she'd gone over to this woman's house to pick up uh, Sam. And it said, then our boys appeared and I got up to go. Sam's shoes were on the mat by the front door next to his friends. And I went over to help him put them on. As I loosened the laces on one shoe, without realizing what I was doing, I sneaked a look into the other boy's sneaker to see what size shoe he wore. <laughs> to see how my kid lined up in shoe size. And finally, I got it. The veil dropped. I got that I am as mad as a hatter. I saw that I was the one worried that my child wasn't doing well enough in school, that I was the one who thought I was out of shape, and that I was trying to get her to carry all this for me because it hurt too much to carry it for myself. Mm, wow. So she realized like that the, her feeling of intense competitiveness with this woman really came out of her own anxieties about like her own you know ability to be a good parent and about herself and... We all know that feeling so well. And I mean, it's natural to be competitive. I mean, we're all, we've talked about this. Everyone has, you know, is, is competitive to some degree, but you just have to watch yourself and, and keep a lid on this, um, <laughs> having to like, you know, up, up the parenting skills. And it's like, if someone wants to let their kid go to bed at a different time, like that's fine. Right. right, right. If somebody, um, you know, I go through this thing, Gretch, because I, you know, as a working mom and truthfully, not even because I'm a working mom, it's more about just my nature. Uh huh. Um, I don't bake like interesting things or anything for that matter. <laughs> so like, for instance, at Jack's Halloween party at school, I got there and some of the parents had made the most creative, you know, adorable treats. Uh, like one yeah. that I remember particularly was uh, individually wrapped Rice Krispie treats that had green frosting and, and faces put on them to look like Frankensteins. And they were so adorable. And my first thought was like, oh my God, like I'm such a bad mom. Look at these treats. I didn't make anything. They're right and I'm wrong. And well, but I'm working and I don't have time. And then I just thought, okay, let me just enjoy these awesome treats. Like how great that we have these treats and let me just, you know, check myself. Right. Instead of everything having to be a competition and like, am I winning? Am I losing? How am I, how do I, how do I match up with everybody else just saying, this is great. They did this fun thing. Um, and that's great for them and I will enjoy them. And, uh, so be it. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, don't you think a lot of it is, Sometimes people try to, I mean, everyone talks about this, live vicariously through their children. So 
whatever they didn't do, they want their kids to do like, oh, I wasn't a cheerleader. So I'm going to like, I want my daughter to be captain of the cheerleading team. And then that will somehow fulfill my high school dream of being a cheerleader. Yeah. And I think whenever you're living out your own desire, your own desires, your own fantasy, your own experiences through somebody else, like that can become a very significant happiness stumbling block for you and also for them. Yes. You don't want them to feel like they have to fulfill your dream. They should have their own dreams uh, and pursue their own goals and not just do things because it's what you want them to do. Right. Exactly. Interesting. Um, well, Gretchen, I'm guessing people have a lot to say on this subject because I think it's something a lot of people struggle with either in themselves or in dealing with other people. So I'd be interested to hear what people have to say. But now, Gretchen, instead of a listener question, we're going to have some listener answers. Ooh. So, you know, in episode 50, we had a question from Fiona about how to organize recipes. And we've gotten, we got so many immediate great responses to that. And then also to some other things like how to organize your kids artwork and um, how to deal with photos. So as a result, today, we're just going to have some listener answers to these nagging questions. Yes, that was great. We just got so much information. Um, yeah. So Fiona was being, was having trouble figuring out how to track the recipes that she was clipping. Um, and, and there were sort of old school answers and new school answers about how to deal with this. It's obviously a very common problem. So like, um, Shelly wrote in that she has a little Sterlite organizer that has three drawers. And so she has one drawer for recipes, one for knitting patterns, and one for receipts. And then when the drawer mm -hmm. gets full, um, then she has, to, she has to go through and be honest with herself about whether to keep them or not. So she uses that as a way to collect wow. and then sort of eliminate when it becomes too overwhelming. Um, Kathy had a very old school solution, which is to use an accordion folder for clippings. Um, and mm -hmm. then you could, each pocket could be a different category, like, you know, salad or desserts or whatever. And then you could put them in the pockets. Um, so you're organizing it and keeping it all collected in a nice, tidy way. And then I love this from Deb. Um, she was saying that like Fiona, she had a tendency to make the same meal over and over. So she said, I challenge myself to make one new recipe each week. I flip through my stack and pick out something easy. It almost matters less what it is than it's new. We call them magazine meals. It makes it a little more fun when I say, honey, we're having a ma magazine meal tonight. And I think that's so funny. I love that phrase. And then she, yeah. then if it doesn't work, she throws it away. And if it does work, she puts it in a binder and then she knows that these are the ones that were successful. So those were all kind of answers using old technologies like accordion yeah. folders. And Gretch, can I just say I love that we're ha you and I are having an in-depth discussion <laughs> about saving recipes, something you neither of us has ever done in our entire lives. I would, I mean, I guess I haven't. I'm guessing you haven't. No, I mean, I realize to a whole new degree my utter lameness in this field. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yes. There's clearly like a whole world of recipe curation that you yes. and I um, we're only we're only we're only uh, witnessing it from afar. Yeah, we're just a conduit. <laughs> this, this is uh, for other people who yes. do save recipes. And then, and still in the recipe vein, there were quite a few people um, had more tech suggestions. Yes, right, like Evernote. Yes, it was huge. Yes. Um, so Karen wrote in talking about how great uh, Evernote was. Danielle wrote in about Evernote. 
Um, a lot of people wrote in about Evernote saying how, how they found it super valuable in this way and also just generally. But here, side note, um, talking is, is how many people did you did you notice this as they were writing in noted that they were questioners? Which makes perfect yes. sense because questioners love information and they love gathering data. And of course, they'd be very interested in developing clever, cool systems for for storing and accessing that data. So I thought that was a funny thing um, to know. Yeah, and before we move on from Evernote, what is it exactly? I still don't understand. It's a way of gathering information online. And I have to say, like, I have such a a kind of a way of wanting to take notes and to collect things that I'm scared even to look at it because I'm afraid my whole life would be consumed with Evernote. Mm -hmm. But I know that people who use it love it. Gretch, the other, uh, I mean, just overwhelming response we got was about Pinterest, using Pinterest for organizing recipes. Yeah, we, we heard from Emily. Um, we heard from Sadie. Sadie actually has 18 Pinterest boards. Um, wow. So she has like very organized categories about how she posts things. And so, um, yeah, so people find that Pinterest is a really easy, accessible way to, um, to organize and then access that kind of information. And then Gretchen, people all, you know, I was talking about um, photos. We've talked a lot about photos um, in numerous episodes. And so a lot of people have written in about great photo apps. Yeah. Heather suggested an app called Chatbooks, which puts together a little paper photo book from your phone, uh, which is a great idea. She says you can set up a, a subscription and link it to your favorites on your phone. And when you hit 60 photos, it puts together a book and sends it to you. No time, no work. Wow. So that's pretty uh, awesome. And then Anne suggested an iPhone app um, called Recently. And it's a subscription that every month you pay 8 or $9 and it'll automatically grab the 100 best photos off your phone and send them to get printed into a professional magazine. Ooh. And then at the end of the year, you have 12 magazines of photos from each month. So that's cool too. That's cool. Yeah. And then, Gretch, on the kids' artwork front, uh, Janine suggested an app called Archive. And I think a few people suggested this. Um, and she says it costs a few dollars, but you take pictures of the artwork and it's all saved in the app. And then later you can use the pictures to create photo books. Um, and she says, which is very true, that the gifts make great gifts. Uh, the pictures make great gifts for grandparents. So she says she uses that for all of her daughter's artwork and, and only actually keeps a few physical pieces. So that seems like a great solution. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's kind of like what I said Daisha did with <laughs> laminating. <laughs> yes. Yes, there's like the old solution and the new solution. There's an app for everything. Yeah. Um, and then yes. there, and then were there were cool, a couple things that people mentioned that were sort of in the same vein. They weren't exactly on uh, on turning digital photos into print photos, but this idea of wanting to memorialize things. One was an app called One Second Every Day, where you make a, like a, a video um, one second every day, and then at the end, you know, you have this wonderful thing, and it makes a, a, a wonderful memento. And I've heard about this from several people. It's a it's an app called Roll Tape, 
And roll tape is, um, Anne sent, sent us about this. It's like a cross between a really long phone message and a podcast that you can send to your friends and family, and they can listen to whenever they have time. She says, we record the messages to each other whenever we're driving to work, cooking dinner, or walking the dog, and listen to them the same way. You can send to more than one person at a time, so it's better than a super long phone message. My tapes are about five minutes long usually. So this is interesting because you and I, we do the update with our parents where we like send an email update. I saw right. you sent one just yesterday, gold star for you. Um, well, mom did it first and then I was like, oh, I haven't sent one in a couple days. That's right. Actually more like a few, like a week. Yeah, but still, I mean, a week is not so long for an update. And um, and this is a way that you can do it. It's like a voice update. Yeah. Um, where like you say it and then people just listen to it whenever they want. And everybody gets it. And so... It's another mechanism for having, for like keeping this, this constant, easy contact. Yeah, it's taking our update to a whole new level. <laughs> yes. Um, and I think what this shows is like, if you think about these things, there's a lot of solutions. You know, once you sort of focus on the fact that there's a problem that needs to be solved, then there's tons of, there's tons of things that like, who'd even have dreamed that there were all these solutions. So thanks to everyone for sending in these amazing suggestions. And I am sure like a lot of people's lives will be made just a little bit easier because of them. A little better than before. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, his retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And Gretch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job? Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash happier. That's storyworth.com slash happier to save $10 on your first purchase. Okay, it's time for Demerit and Gold Star. Elizabeth, you were up with the Demerit. Yes, Gretch, I, um, this is an ongoing Demerit, um, that I think probably others share, maybe even you, um, which is I do not properly remove my makeup at oh, night. Oh, 100%. I, give me that demerit right now. And my Eliza's always telling me this too. Yeah, it's like I got a whole skincare routine going. It's this Rodin and Fields. It's this product that um, from, you know, two female dermatologists came up with. And I, in the morning, I do the whole routine, the scrub, the toner, this, this uh, skin lightener that sort of evens out your skin tone and the 50 SPF. Um, I've been really into the routine, very proud of myself. But the problem is I don't do it at night. At night, I just use like a makeup cloth, you know, mm -hmm. and I just rub it over my face. And it it just isn't fully cleansing my face. There's just no two ways about it. Um, and I feel bad. So why do you think you can do it so what, so much better in the morning than at night? Is it just you're tired? Yeah, I'm guessing it probably traces back to your whole go to t bed when you're tired, um, you know, rule. Because I think what happens is I wait too long to go to bed and then I'm just dying to get into bed and I just can't face 
scrubbing my face. Yeah. But the problem is for the skincare routine to completely work, you know, you need to do it day and night. And what keeps happening is they'll, I get this email saying, oh, it's time to replenish your supply. And I'm all, not even halfway through because <laughs> I've not used it. So what? I should just go to bed earlier, right? I'm sure that's the answer. That's one of them. Or you could you could wash your face earlier in the evening, like after dinner or ah. even when you get home from work or something. Because you don't have to necessarily do it right before you go to bed. Now, I am like, like it is so, it's so hypocritical of me to be giving you any kind of tips or advice because I'm so bad at doing this myself. Um, so it's definitely the cobbler's children going unshod or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm sure that, yes, th- there are, there, <laughs> we should be able to. I don't sense do you a- even have an interest in cleansing your face at night. Well, you know, whenever possible, I don't even put on makeup that day. But uh, so then I then I feel like, oh, I don't have to do so much with my face because I don't have any makeup on. Um, but then when I even when I do have makeup on, it's just it's very it, I should be doing a lot more. My 16 year old Eliza is obsessed with like skincare stuff. And she's constantly saying to me, you know, you you still have eye makeup on. Right. You know that. Right. right. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Yeah, maybe we'll both work on this. All right. Yeah. All right. I'll let you know how I do. Yeah, me so too. Now, me too. what is your... Okay, good. What's your gold star this week, Gretchen? Well, actually, funnily enough, it's a gold star relating to your doctor. Um, mm, if you may not Dr. even... Dr. Bush. Dr. Bush, your diabetes doctor. So, you know, I like to give gold stars for people who know the right thing to say, because I feel like having the right thing to say is such so powerful that when somebody has the right response that really makes you feel understood or, or, or comforts you, it's, it's, it's so difficult, but it's so, it's so meaningful. And he said something to you that I was thinking of because I was remembering something that I read in my, one of my very favorite books of all time. It's a parenting book, but it actually applies just as much to adults. So you can just use it for adults. It's called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk by uh, Faber and Mazelish. And I just am obsessed with this book. I've read it like 10 times. Um, but so in the part where they're talking about um, how to how to help people feel understood, how to help your children feel understood, they have four they have four steps to go through. And I was remembering how one of these steps was something your doctor said. And so it shows it's not just for children. It works with adults. So they say to help with feelings. First, listen with full attention, like put down your phone. Second, acknowledge mm-hmm. their feelings with a word. Say, oh, I see like that. Three, give their feelings a name. That must have been frustrating. You must have really felt angry. Like put a word to try to characterize what they're Mm -hmm. saying. Because sometimes you get it wrong. Oh, that must, you know, like when my daughter's SAT was canceled, people often say, oh, that must have been such a relief. And she's like, no, it was incredibly frustrating. You know, so you want to show that you're trying to understand. And here's the key part. It says, give them their wish in fantasy. And the, Mm. the example that they give with children was like a child who wants a certain kind of cereal and the mother says I wish I had some in the house for you I wish I had the magic power to make a giant box appear so the child sees like you really get it I really want it and I remember Mm -hmm. you were telling me years ago and I've just never forgotten it because it seemed like such the right thing to say so you were this was like when you were had first been diagnosed and you were not typical like you were much older than most people who get type 1 diabetes you didn't you didn't kind of fit the profile of somebody they thought would have it so it was a huge shock, came out of nowhere, and you were sort of, I remember, like, going to the doctor and, and sort of trying to take it all in. It was so much information, so much to deal with so fast. And, yeah. And he was taught, and your doctor was talking to you. And the way you recounted the conversation to me was at one point he said, I wish I could get this monkey off your back. 
but I can't. Because mm. one of the things about diabetes, it's so relentless. There's no day off. It's like it's everything is yes. constantly like you can't forget about it. And you can't even like do the same thing every day and have it work because every day you do everything exactly yes. the same way and everything's different. It's like it is a monkey on your back. And I and I it it comforted me that your doctor said to you I wish I could get this monkey off your back because I felt like he gets it. Yeah, he understood the scope of what I was dealing with. And so I didn't have to feel like I needed to um, minimize what a big deal it was. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, he's, a, he's a great doctor. He's a very caring guy. Yeah. And I just thought, give them the wish and fantasy. You know, it's like, it's a way of showing that you understand someone else's experience, you know? And it's like, it's like, if you're saying, I wish I were Ozma and could make the, mad, the cereal appear, or if you're the doctor saying, mm -hmm. I wish, I wish I could, I wish I could fix it. So gold star. Gold star. Yeah. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Try putting the word meditation after any activity that's boring you and let us know did it help? <laughs> yes. Thank you to our producer, Henry Malofsky. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer from Panoply. Get in touch with us. Gretchen's on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Elizabeth Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And as always, if you want to see a link to the books that we talk about or see photos of things that we talk about or just get more information about the stuff that we're talking about on the episode, you can always go to happiercast.com slash and then the number of whatever episode it is. This is episode 53. Um, so happiercast.com slash 53 will take you um, to a place where you can read more and also add your comments, which we love. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. <laughs>